time, I'd like us now to turn to Psalm 13. It's such a short psalm, I'm going to reread it. So, uh, hear God's word. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray again. O Lord, give us understanding, and with understanding, Increase our love, and with love increase our desire and commitment to your service. In Christ's name, amen. Forget me, O Lord. Do you ever feel forgotten by God? Feelings of being forgotten by God are real. David for one, how long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will hide thy, hide thy face from me? He wasn't just saying that. Those are not rhetorical questions that are to remain unanswered. He desires an answer. When one is in this condition, one requires a response. Such as when you're self-quarantined. You know self-quarantine has its place. Let me give you a definition of quarantine. A state, period, or place of isolation in which people or animals that have arrived from elsewhere or been exposed to infectious or contagious diseases are placed. There is a, a place for that. There is a time for that. But let me also add, there is a time when that ends. It says, it goes on to say, many animals die in quarantine. We know that from experience. Even lately when I caught a mouse in my house, I, I always go for the live trap. And I always make an effort, and my kids and my wife can bear this out. I would release them. I would go two miles away to the swap meet to drop them off. <laughs> but this little mouse that I caught remained in this trap, this live trap, for several hours. And it was cold that night. And when I found him and put him in a cage and tried to revive him, it wasn't long before he died. And so these feelings of God forgetting you, which are real, are often, some, are often followed by sorrow or discouragement or even depression. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Sometimes it goes on for days, sometimes even longer, sometimes a lifetime as in the case of one 
dear saint that you are familiar with because we sing his hymns by the name of William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. Let me read you about William Cooper. At the age of six, uh, Cooper's mother died, and he was sent off to a boarding school. This was not a good experience for him. He was treated badly there and ostracized by his colleagues. It was a difficult time for him, but finally he was able to leave. But by the time he was 18, he became a lawyer's apprentice, and he spent the next decade trained to become a lawyer. As he was about to be examined to practice law, it was at that time, after having significant difficulties battling depression, that he had a mental breakdown. You think he became a lawyer? He was sent to a mental hospital. In those days, they were called asylums. One day at the asylum, Cowper Cooper found a Bible on the bench. He opened it up and he read it. He turned to the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead, which he said showed him the mercy of the Savior. He then knew that he had to go to the book of Romans, so he turned to Romans 3.25, where he read, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It was upon reading this verse that Cooper said he was immediately converted. He wrote, The full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the Son of God. There's more, but sadly it's on another page that I did not attach to this. But all throughout his life, he dealt with and battled with depression in his soul. How long, how long, how long, we hear David crying. He may have been threatened by enemies and, and felt that deep in his soul. You know, sometimes, especially for a warrior, it bounces off you like water off a duck's back. But not this time. How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Perhaps he was at this critical point where he thought that he was going to lose because there were occasions when, in fact, he lost a battle or two. Now, he won the war, of course, but he lost a battle or two. David had his share of enemies, especially in his ascent to power. It started with Goliath of Gath. That was a big enough enemy. But he took him down, didn't he? As a, as a young lad, as a shepherd boy, the youngest of his father. And he wasn't even enlisted in the army. Even worse, though, was the first king of Israel, his king, King Saul. And you remember, he would not dare to hurt this king, God's anointed. He would not dare to do God's servant any harm. This was his motto. And that's what made it a challenge to be a good subject. King Saul was out to get him almost from the get-go. Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. He would hear that over and over and over again. Sung 
by the people of God, made into, into song. And Saul was wroth, it says in the King James. That means angry. It's like a seething anger. It's like the kind of anger that you would have to check into an anger management course in order to overcome. And what can he, David, have more but the kingdom, he said. So, envy and also revenge was in his blood. And then there was his own son Absalom toward the end of his life. Some say it was several decades that he had to deal with his own son and the threat upon his throne. For many years, Absalom made David's life misery. You know people who make your life misery and wonder, when is this going to change? I, I hope you never think, when is he going to leave or be taken out of this life? I hope you never think that. But certainly, you can only bear with that so long. For Absalom was not only his son, but he was his father's chief adversary. He was worse than the enemies that surrounded Israel, that surrounded Jerusalem, that surrounded the city of the great king. And yet, when his son was defeated and killed by his own men who were protecting him and the throne, what did David do? He mourned. Oh, my son, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He was crying upon the knowledge of his death. Joab, who was his chief general, said to him, King David, shame on you. Your soldiers have saved your life and this nation from destruction and risked their own. If Absalom had lived and we have died, you would have, you would have been pleased, is what he said to him. Such is a father's love for his son. You may fear the last and greatest enemy, death. David, verse 3 of Psalm 13. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Light mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You may be a Christian, as David was a believer, and yet still, still fear death. At least fear the process that leads to death, because as Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Death is like a shadow that can't hurt you. But like unbelievers who don't have Jesus in their life, you may have those moments in which you are afraid of death. You see, the Lord Jesus was God who became flesh and blood, in order that he would destroy him that has the power of death, even the devil. It says in, in the book of Hebrews, I delivered them who through, their all, who through their lifetime were subject unto the fear of death and were in bondage. If I heard eternal hell was up ahead for me, if I didn't have a backup plan in my back pocket, as it were, that would rattle my cage as well, wouldn't it yours? And so I wonder if, like in this pandemic, there are people who are having their cages rattled, and I'm saying that in a good way, for a, for a, for a positive reason. And that is, it may be the opportunity of a lifetime 
to be available to them, to be that link, that lifeline to the gospel. It would be like climbing the last 400 feet of Half Dome. I saw a video of Half Dome. Remember Half Dome? Remember Yosemite? Brings back memories when I saw this video. It would be like climbing the last 400 feet of Half Dome. You know why the, the, la the last 400 feet to the top? Because it is the sheerest, absolute vertical east face of the dome. But it would be like climbing that without cables. You know what? Since there were a number of deaths and injuries, the park installed uh, what I will read to you now from the Yosemite National Park website. You'll find poles holding the cables up every 10 feet or so along the slope, poles, with a 2x4 attached to each set of poles at ground level so you can rest and contemplate your mortality <laughs> before you attack the next section of cable. Now this is with cable, but when you're without the gospel, you don't have cable. And I'm not talking about cable TV either. Without it, you'll never make it to the top. And I'm not talking about the top of Yosemite. I'm talking about heaven. That's the kind of fear David was having the fear of an unconverted sinner. And yet the truth is, and David knew it, that death from the child of God was just like falling asleep and waking up in the arms of the Lord in heaven. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that's a Greek idiom or saying, just like we have sayings and idioms, for death. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We have no reason to be feeling hopeless for Christians who have gone to heaven. We have no reason to feel sad for our dead Christian loved ones. David, like so many of us, may have feared the dying process that leads up to death, especially if it turns out to be a long and painful one. And that is why so often we are thankful when people pass quickly into the presence of Christ. Or perhaps David may have feared dying at the hand of his enemy. Verse 4, lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. As king of Israel, he had many enemies. The Philistines <clears throat> were his chief enemies. These were the uh, people of iron. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites. There are a lot of ites out there. The Canaanites, who are really all of the above, who descend from Noah's grandson, Ham's, uh, by the name of Canaan. The land of Canaan, an area that includes modern-day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. All of the area that still to this present day we hear a lot about in the news. And I wonder why. <laughs> God did not allow David to build the temple 
because of that, did he not? No sooner would it be built than one of those enemies or any combination of the above would come and destroy the house of God. Because they knew that this house, like the tabernacle, the temple, they knew when the temple was built, the enemies of God did, that is, that this represented the very heart of Israel. This was their lifeblood. This was the reason for their living. The church is the reason for our living. It's not ourselves and the homes that we built here, but it is the house of God of which we are a part, of which Christ is the head. Like the Ark of the Covenant that would occupy the central part, in, not only in the tabernacle, but in the temple later on. And would find its home, a permanent resting place in the temple. And recall how that ark was once stolen by the Philistines and how it just totally annihilated all their hope and assurance and confidence as the people of God. Finally, David may have felt forgotten by his God because of his own sins. Lest mine enemy sin in my sinful nature, my deceitful and desperately wicked heart, say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me, my sins, Rejoice when I am moved, become spiritually rattled in my earthly cage. Isaiah had that experience at the start of his ministry. Before it got off the ground, it started with seeing God as he truly is. Look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It starts with seeing the holy, the thrice holy, perfectly, absolutely impeccable God for yourself. Peter had a similar experience in the New Testament, did he not? In Luke 5, 4 through 10. Luke 5, 4 through 10. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, who is Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft, meaning for a big catch. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night 
come on now. Give us a break. And have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let, it, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. There were so many fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Do you think this had an impression on Peter? Of course, we read it. There it's in black and white. And how did it start? It started just like with Isaiah. Seeing the holy, holy, holy God in Christ. He had this similar experience of seeing the spiritual darkness of his sins. You will only see how you truly are when you see how God is. And then you will repent and you will be refreshed. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I would propose that David was having what I would call an Isaiah moment or a Peter experience of God. The truth is, is that God never left him or Isaiah or Peter. David was a child of God. David was a man after God's own heart, it says in the word of God. Most of all, David was one who trusted in Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But like David, we sometimes feel forgotten by God. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't. As David says in verse 5 of our psalm, But I have trusted in thy mercy, which is God's hesed, his covenant and everlasting love that is manifested in the sending of the mediator of that covenant, even Jesus Christ, to fulfill all righteousness and to wash away all sin for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. David goes on to say, My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. My Yeshua. What does that sound like? Yeshua. But Jesus. And she shall bring forth a son, meaning Mary. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, which is Yeshua. For he shall save his people from their sins. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call 
his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so rather than be forlorn, rather than hope, rather than be depressed, we should rejoice in the Lord. And I'm not advocating by this that we just steal ourselves, that we just sort of through self-will and determination overcome this depression. There's no way in a million years that you can do it yourself. There's no way that you can survive depression on your own with the Lord. Montgomery Boyce once said, the fact that we feel abandoned itself means that we really know God is there. To be abandoned, you need someone to be abandoned by. Because we are Christians and have been taught by God in the scriptures, we know that God still loves us and will be faithful to us, regardless of our feelings. We need to allow our minds, as it were, to control our emotions. We need to let the Word of God fill our minds. We need to fill our minds with the Word of God. And in so doing, allow God's Word as the pure and unsearchable riches of Christ fill us to overflowing with the love of God. Finally, we know that God loves us because Christ was forsaken by the Father in our place, as we had read earlier in the back of the bulletin. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. There's darkness. The darkness was so thick you could cut it with a knife. But that's not the greater darkness, but the darkness in the soul of Jesus Christ, our Lord. For it says in verse 34, And at the ninth hour, the very last hour of his life, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was forgotten by his Father in those moments that he suffered on the cross and died in his burial. As much as we feel that our being left alone by God, and mind you, those are just feelings if you're a child of God, as I believe I've established, are nothing compared to what our Lord actually experienced in the body and in the soul. He is alive and well at God's right hand, where He represents us. And so are we in Him at God's right hand, in Christ, alive and well. As Paul says, who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, who is yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at his right hand, who maketh intercession for us. For he ever lives to make intercession for his people. Hebrews 7.25 And so, 
God, forget me, or God, forget you, no way, not in a zillion years, for he promised, and you know God is not like man who lies. He promised, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And right now, he is with us, and he promises to be with us all the way, no matter what happens between now and our entry, eternity, in his presence. And so with that, let us be encouraged. Let us be strong in faith. And give glory to God. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, help us, we pray. Help us, especially some who like our brothers in the faith, like William Cooper, struggle with this their entire lives. We all struggle with this from time to time, some more than others. But Lord, though you never struggled with this because you were God made flesh, yet there was a time even you experienced this, and your experience doesn't even compare, or our experience does not even compare to anything like that, that horror, that nightmare that you endured of your separation from your Father. So Lord, help us now, help us, we pray, in these times to be Lord, resting on you, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for you. In Christ's name, Amen.